Lack of transparency, poor disputes mechanisms, and inadequate training. These are just some of the findings of the inquiry into student accommodation, which was completed by the Education and Workforce Select Committee last week. Following the death of University of Canterbury student Mason Pendrus in student accommodation in 2019, a temporary pastoral code of conduct for domestic students was put into place, which is now under review. In the report, the Education and Workforce Select Committee noted that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, issues with student accommodation were exacerbated. This did, however, lead to more coverage of these issues by media and politicians. This, alongside the death of Mason Pendrus, led to the inquiry. In the 25-page report, the Select Committee identified four areas in need of improvement. These were transparency and accountability in governance, disputes resolution and complaints, well-being and safety in student accommodation, and emergency planning and response. Transparency and accountability in governance was highlighted as the area that needed the most improvement. It was found that it isn't always made clear what services are offered by student accommodation providers, how they're managed, or who runs them. The report notes that without this transparency, it makes it difficult for students to hold accommodation providers to account. As a result, it was repeatedly suggested that increasing student voice in governance structures could be a way to overcome this. While this was welcomed by some submitters, others, such as the Vice-Chancellor of Auckland University of Technology, Derek McCormick, were strongly opposed, arguing that students didn't necessarily have the expertise required in a governance environment. Or to operate a, a, a hostel uh, is a long-term, you know, it's a, it's a long-term operation. And students aren't necessarily aware of the, the long-term uh, issues related to provision of the hostel, maintenance, all of those sorts of things. Um, so if you're talking about a student experience body or a liaison group or um, some other way that students that are currently there have a voice, uh, I agree with that. I don't agree with them sitting on the board that runs the, the company that runs the hostel. Resulting from this, the recommendations made by the Education and Workforce Select Committee suggest that an updated pastoral code of conduct would require student accommodation providers to embed meaningful student voice in decision-making without imposing legal responsibilities on students. Disputes resolution mechanisms were also at the forefront of the inquiry, with countless submissions from students who had stories in which their issues had been ignored by accommodation providers. One student, Azaria Howell, spoke to the committee about her experiences at Victoria University when reporting homophobia and sexism on behalf of others. Currently, there is a disputes mechanism managed by NZQA that came into effect with the temporary pastoral code of conduct. However, in an interview with Radio 1, Green Party MP Chloe Swarbrick revealed that this has not been used since its implementation. Um, in addition, I also dealt with a lot of issues from other residents of the hall, such as homophobia and sexism. And when I presented these concerns to my RA and to my head of hall, they swept it under the rug and told me that um, I could move out if I didn't um, feel comfortable there. The Green Party expressed their belief that all student accommodation in New Zealand should be not-for-profit, 
echoing comments by the Victoria University of Wellington Students Association, who believed that private halls often lived to suboptimal service and pastoral care. From our experience, the private ones are more issues to arise than the private ones, but that's not by no means a unique thing. And ultimately, as you say, you know, there are um, a, lot, a lot of experiences that have shown that when there is a central ownership and management model for halls of residence, there tends to be better results because things are easier to be dealt with. This was rejected by the committee overall, however, who believed that the current variety of operational models led to greater supply of halls and more freedom of choice in offerings of student accommodation. There was also concern that limiting student accommodation to a not-for-profit model would reduce the number of places in student accommodation and could increase students' fees. Now over to Radio 1 news reporter Hannah Johns. Core Hannah Tene. The university's hand sanitizer spending increased 973 percent in 2020 from the same period in 2018. In 2018, the university reported a total spend on hand sanitizer of $9,101. In 2019, this increased to $17,284. In 2020, despite campus being shut down for two months, the total spend was $98,128. The first third of this year has already seen $26,289 spent on hand sanitizer. The university is on track to spend nearly $80,000 this year on the disinfecting agent. Property Services Division Director Dean McCauley says that these figures are not only due to the increased vigilance spurred by the pandemic, but also an increase in the university's occupied public and open spaces. These areas include the new dentistry building, the Eccles building, a dental facility in Auckland and the new performing arts facilities. HealthSite first year enrolments have increased nearly 50% since 2014. As of December 31st, 2014, the university reported 941 students were enrolled in the program. As of the 6th of April 2021, 1,400 students were enrolled in the HealthSci first year course. Enrolments across all faculties have been increasing, but HealthSci first year remains one of the more popular first year programs at the University of Otago. Earlier in the year, Radio 1 news reporter Zach Hoffman revealed that in 2020, 23% of health science first year students changed their course in semester two. That is all from me, Kakite. That was the news here on Radio 1, Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi 91FM. Now, the weather. The Radio 1 91FM weather. Fine weather today, with westerlies turning into northerly winds by this afternoon. 17 degrees is your high today, dropping to 8 overnight. That was the weather here on Radio 1, Te Reo Irirangi Kotahi 91FM. This week, I polled Otago University students on the best ice cream flavour combinations at the Rob Roy Dairy. No two answers were the same, and no one got the correct answer of a two-scoop with mint chocolate chip and orange chocolate chip, which I swear is better than it sounds. A disappointingly large number of students div- didn't have an answer, or don't eat enough ice cream to say, which is frankly unsettling. And don't forget that if you head into the Rob Roy Dairy on a Monday or a Tuesday with your Radio 1 1 card, you can get a free upgrade to a waffle cone. Here are their responses. 
What's your favourite flavour combo at Rob Roy? Um, I think my favourite flavour combo is a bit of a lime swirl and then on top of that mango. A bit of a fruit fruit girl. Interesting. Mm. I like the um the sherbet ice cream from oh, yeah. them, yes. Yeah. Uh, goody gum drops mixed with gold rush, unbeatable. Good call. Did good you call. know that they use turmeric and um yeah bit. and spirulina to colour the goody gum drop? The Robbery Dairy, do you have a favourite ice cream flavour combo? I barely eat ice cream. <laughs> you get the illicit killer cola or uh, blue rebellion drink for a dollar, you get a dollar uh, what do you call lolly it? Mixture. Lolly, lolly mixture. Dollar yeah. lolly mixture. You get real fruit ice cream, raspberry, mango, and banana. Put the lollies in the ice cream. It's beautiful. Brush your teeth after. Mint yeah. choc chip and chocolate with a gluten-free waffle cone. What's your favourite flavour combo at Rob Roy? Caramel fudge. Oh, I haven't actually been to Rob Roy that often. I haven't been oh. for years, so. Chocolate and then goody goody gum drop.